0: Hey there, and welcome to the Alenia Church Podcast, your place to get all of Alenia Church's previous messages. Messages are designed to equip you on your journey with Christ. Today begins our newest series, The Good Shepherd, where we discuss the impact that Jesus, the Shepherd, has in our everyday lives. Pastor Jeremy opens with Psalms 23, the driving scripture for the series, discussing how God will always be our provider. Join us now as we dig into our first installment of The Good Shepherd series.
1: Good morning, good morning, good morning, it's going to be a good day, so we're starting a new series called The Good Shepherd, and before I uh, get into my message, I want to just say uh, real quickly how proud I am of you as a church. Um, I got to talk to Pastor Brennan uh, yesterday, and he had so many good things to uh, he I, and y'all were texting me i don't remember what time so if you know it was probably four or five o'clock and um i'm trying to remember where we were um we were in bath that's right because i went to bed at 10 o'clock in bath and we were beating alabama and i woke up and we lost and so i'm trying to figure out what happened uh but uh Uh, y'all were texting me because y'all were so excited about what was going on uh, Sunday. So I just want to say how proud of y'all I am and uh, your hospitality. uh, They felt so warm and welcomed uh, and blown away and uh, the leadership of the church. um, Just, just, just amazing. So um, thank you all so much, and thank you for being the church that um, i am I can take a vacation and uh, we don 't miss a beat in fact, uh, everybody shows up more for the guest speaker than they do the pastor so that 's great uh, <laughs> i don 't mind that at all I promise, um, but we had a, a great a great time in England. We spent uh, 10 days, we left on Sunday, and uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about that, but we were in uh, Devon, which is on the west coast of England, um, a county out there, and then we went to the Cotswolds, and then we went to Bath, or, or Bath, I should say, went to Bath, and uh, and then we spent a, a few nights in, in London, and, and I'm still waking up at four in the morning, so uh, we'll get there, we'll get there. Um, in 2018, uh, I embarked on this ridiculous journey where I uh, decided to get my PhD. And so I have my uh, doctorate in strategic uh, organizational leadership. Um, I do not want y'all to call me doctor. Please do not do that. Um, doctor, pastor, bishop, elder, Jeremy. So <laughs> flip, please don't do that. Um, but one of, the, one of the things that the church has sent us, uh, which is LifePoint Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia, um, I had been there for 15 years, and so I was in the middle of my Ph.D. journey, and uh, out of their generosity, when I, I th- met with the, the senior pastor and said, listen, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I love you, but I'm, I'm resigning, and God's calling me to do this, uh, one of the things he said was, you're going to finish your Ph.D., and we're going to take care of it, and so their generosity allowed me to finish my my Ph.D., and my... Uh, my dissertation was on the metaphor and the imagery of shepherding in the bible and you're like well how can that be a phd if you really want to get nerdy uh, there's qualitative there's quantitative qualitative research quantitative research there's mixed methods research but there's this thing called socio socio rhetorical uh, research and that's what i i did in my uh, phd journey and it, the purpose of it was to show the shepherding metaphor all throughout Scripture and how the Bible, God, uses shepherding as the primary way to describe leadership in the Bible, the primary way to describe leadership. And I know that I am confident that through Scripture and, and cultural context and cultural analysis, I can prove that that when we look at leadership, that we have to look at it through the lens of shepherding. it, And we might hit on that over the next four weeks, but that's not really the purpose uh, of, of this series. Um, but I do want to say that my belief is that the modern day church is not suffering from a lack of leadership. The modern day church is suffering from a lack of shepherdship. And that what we have done is we have hitched our wagon to this to this siren of leadership and leadership development. And it's all great. Leadership development is great. We need leadership. That's fantastic. But if you go back to the 50s and the 60s and there was a prevailing feeling within the church that we had lost our uh, cultural leadership. And that we had lost our way as a church because you were having the sexual revolution happening. And so what happened was these journals started coming out, the leadership journal, leadership quarterly, things like that. as As the church's answer to fight back against that, that's how this whole idea of leadership and leadership development started creeping into the church. Not that it's a bad thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but what happens is when we start to replace God's method of leadership with the world's method of leadership, we start to run into some problems. And I think all of us can say that, you know, we have experienced uh, leadership issues within the church and I can always go back to a leadership within the church, an issue with leadership in the church and point to an absence of shepherding, that shepherding is required. And One of the things I got to do that I love to do and I love leadership development and uh, maybe one day we'll get to do that here, but I I had created a nine month leadership program uh, for the volunteers of the church I was serving at. And the very first lesson, we would meet once a week for nine months. The very first lesson I taught was this idea of shepherding. And this is what I would start out that, uh, that, that, that lecture with. Who was the greatest leader to ever walk the face of the earth? Right, yeah, that's the Sunday school answer. You better say Jesus, right? If <laughs> someone would say Churchill, you know, no, I, you know, no, yeah, no, no, uh, it, it was Jesus, right? Jesus is the m- most dynamic leader to ever walk the face of the earth. Everybody agree, right? Um, and so what we would do is I would have everybody open their laptops and I'd say, go to Amazon and I want you to, I want you to search for books on Jesus and leadership. And so, I mean, just thousands of books, Jesus and leadership. And then I would say, okay, now I want us, if we're going to model our leadership after Jesus, I want us to find a place where Jesus says, I am a good leader. No one could find the spot. But what we could find was that people was that Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I said, now, open up Amazon. I want you to type in Jesus and shepherding. Maybe a dozen books, maybe. So what has happened is we see Jesus as the good shepherd, the most dynamic leader that's ever walked the face of the planet, but we won't follow his model of shepherding. And my thesis was this, if we focus on being good leaders there's a good chance we'll be a good leader but we'll be a bad shepherd but if we will focus our efforts on being good shepherds we will by default be good leaders and so that was my dissertation journey but what i've learned in my research is that it all starts with the 23rd psalm The Lord is my shepherd, the 23rd Psalm. So what I'm gonna ask everybody to do is to stand with me this morning and we're gonna read together as a church. This is an all skate. Come on now, everybody stand with me. And let's read this together. It's gonna be on the screens for you. You've got that for me, Graham. Here we go, ready? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Would you just remain standing as we pray? God, we love you and we thank you for this pivotal scripture, the 23rd Psalm written by David. We thank you for what it means, we thank you for what it foreshadows. God, we just pray today for this message that you would anoint the reading of your word. God, we pray for Israel in this moment. We want to remember the conflict in the Middle East. God, that your will would be done. God, that justice would be done. Father God, we pray as always for peace to be had as well. God, we pray for uh, the remainder of twenty twenty three as a, as a church. God, that you would see us through in strength, God, that we would grow stronger as a church, God, that we would grow closer to you and closer to each other. And God, Lord, we just want to lift up our nation and we want to lift up our world. God, in the, the turmoil that's happening all around us, God, we know that you are the Prince of Peace. And God, we rest in that. In your name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat this morning. So two weeks ago, October 15th, I ended our series on seeds. I hope that you enjoyed that. Uh, It was a a great series. I enjoyed it. I learned a lot uh, just studying for it. But I ended the uh, message on seeds. I walked off the stage. I grabbed my hands, my my wife's hands. My hands wife, yes. I'm still jet lagged. You got to give me a break. (laughs) And uh, we got in the car and Josh drove us to the airport and we we uh, got on a jet plane and we flew to Detroit and we were going on our 20th anniversary uh, trip to England. We had about an hour and a half uh, layover in Detroit. And then we got on a plane from Detroit to fly to London about seven and a half hours, uh, which is a long flight, especially when you're married to someone who hates flying. And uh, we, we landed. Uh, we passed immigration. We got on this train called the Heathrow Express uh, that, you know, f- goes really fast uh, to Paddington Station. Uh, we got on a train at Paddington Station. We waved to the bear um, and uh, we took a train all the way to Bath. Uh, from Bath Spa Station, we then got an Uber and we Ubered over to the rental car place and then in the rental car place I hopped inside of a car that had the steering wheel on the wrong side and then was told to drive on the left side of the road. And it was a manual. Oh, it was awesome! I was like, I was like, I was left-handed. In that thing, I was trying to figure it out. So, just so you know, uh, if you go to England, they actually have your signs in miles per hour. All right, it's miles per hour. And then also, if you're a, a, if you like driving a, a stick shift, the pedals are all the same. So I didn't have to learn that. It's just that you're on the wrong side of the car, and it goes first, to first to six. Everything's the same, right? And uh, so we're driving. Two and a half, two and a half, two hours, 40 minutes from Bath to a small community, listen to this, called Pickwell in the county of Devon, which is on the far west side of England. And I tell you all that uh, because an interesting thing kept happening um, while I was driving. And it was, I kept curbing the car. I kept curbing that left side. So I've got some pictures of up here for you of what it looked like from my wife's perspective. Um, and so everything out in the country is one lane roads. They don't have any idea what a two lane road is. And my wife sat in that, that shotgun seat and the hedgerows were just flying right by her ear. And she was like, you're going you're to hit it. You're going to hit it. And then sometimes I would run up on the curb. And what what I realized, and someone had told me this, and I didn't understand it till I got there, that decades of driving, you are on the left side of the car, driving on the right side of the road, and you have developed a right side peripheral vision that you don't know anything about. you know where the curb is, you know where the mailbox is, you know where the car is, you know you know the people walking over there don't hit them, you know what's going on. And uh, I, I was now on the wrong side of the car driving on the left side of the road and I had no left eye peripheral vision. I didn't know what was happening over there. The only reason I knew something was happening over there is I'd feel the car go boom. Now, I was scaring my wife to death, scaring her to death. She she was like, This this is worse than riding in a roller coaster. Now, let's rewind. Let's rewind. I want to rewind about 12 months ago. I have a 16 year old (laughs) who is sitting on the left side of the car, driving on the right side of the road, and he is scaring me and my wife to death because he is about to knock out everything on the right side of the road why because he has not developed a right side peripheral vision god forbid anybody that is over there that is a human being or a mailbox or a dog or a curb or anything because it is going to get hit because he just keeps doing this right here now I was really hard on him. I'm like, what are you doing, Why Can't you see? Can't you see what's going on? What are you doing? And then I went thousands of miles away to learn a very, very valuable lesson in context and empathy. <laughs> I was like, now I know what he was going through. Because I was learning just like he was learning. How many of y'all realize that Perspective changes everything. Perspective change. have you ever Have you ever struggled to understand the context of something you were reading or something you were watching or something you were listening to because you didn't fully understand the context? Jennifer loves historical fiction, she loves period fiction, she loves uh, Jane Austen, we got to go to the Jane Austen Center in, in, in Boff. Um, she loves royal history and, and Queen Elizabeth and Queen Victoria, and she knows all the, th- all the intricacies and everything that happened. And, uh, and we got to go to Kensington Palace, but there, there were certain things that she didn't quite understand but came alive when she stepped foot in England and saw them in their context. Has that ever happened to you where you read something, you just don't, don't get it because you don't fully understand the context? And I would suggest that when you read 23rd Psalm, that you might not fully understand the context of what you're reading because we are so far removed. From a shepherding culture. We're so far removed from a shepherding culture. But to the readers of the 23rd Psalm in the Old Testament, and to the hearers of Jesus of Nazareth when he was reciting his, I am the good shepherd in John 10, it made perfect sense. These weren't just words, but they spoke to a deep need that each of us as humans have, and that is to be cared for to be in community. So that's what we're going to do over the next four weeks. We are going to dissect the 23rd Psalm and I'm going to do my absolute best to shine a little bit of context of, of what we're reading and, and what it means to us. So let's, let's dive in. Okay. All right. So the very first part of the passage of the 23rd Psalm says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not one. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So we're going to stop there. And that's what we're going to cover today. And next week, we're going to talk about fear and how fear can, can, can wreak havoc in our lives and how we have a, a great shepherd that, that, that provides peace and care for us. But today, we're going to focus on the verses one through three. And what we need to understand up until this point is all of the previous shepherds that were in the Bible up until this point, all the patriarchs, guess what their vocation was? They were shepherds. Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. All of them were shepherds. David, the writer of the 23rd Psalm, he was a shepherd. And we have David here, he's writing, he's pinning these words, and he's remembering his past, and he's thinking of the unlikely story that he is, just a young shepherd boy, he's tending his father's sheep, he's minding his own business. And he's being called back to the house by his father because there's this guy there named Samuel. And he is there because God has called him to that house to anoint a new king. And Samuel has gone through all the bigger, older, taller, more handsomer brothers And God keeps saying, nope, not that one. Nope, not that one. Hey, listen, you're looking at the outward appearance. I don't look at the outward appearance. I'm looking at the heart. Not that one, not that one. And Samuel's got, he's like, there's got to be somebody else. And what's Jesse, the dad say? He goes, actually, the youngest is out in the field. He said, go fetch him for me. And so when he walks in, God says, that's my anointed one. That's the future king. And David was brought before him and Samuel anointed him. and now. David is sitting there and he's remembering this and and he's he's thinking about he's thinking about that moment he's thinking about the moment where he he went to to take a meal to his brothers and there was a a battle going on and there was this guy named Goliath, this big giant, and how God led him to victory and, and slaying that giant. And he was thinking about all the battles that he had won and how God had given him victory over and over and over. And he was thinking about all the times that God rescued him from the hand of King Saul because King Saul wanted to kill him so desperately wanted to take him out, and and instead he was installed as king. And the only thing that could come to his mind is he's sitting at that desk and he's penning these words and he's thinking, man, the Lord is is my shepherd. The Lord's my shepherd. He's he's led me. I I had no say in all this. This wasn't of my own intellect. It wasn't of my own doing. Man, the the Lord is my shepherd. And that's the first point I want us to understand is how radical it was to read these words for the first time that God is shepherd. That God is shepherd. Not that God is a shepherd. Doesn't say that. Says the Lord is my shepherd. In fact, the words there are Yahweh. They're using the the holy words of God, Yahweh. Yahweh is shepherd. Yahweh is my shepherd. And what we see here in scripture, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, breathed out by God, being written by the man David, that God through David was stating that he was going to fill the role of shepherd. And in fact, he had been filling that role all along. Why is it important from this point forward? Well, every time God referred to the leadership of his nation, Israel, he talked about it in the sense of shepherding. He told the leaders of Israel, you're being horrible shepherds. You're literally fleecing the flock. You're literally getting fat off of them. You're abusing them. You have no sense of justice. This isn't what shepherding looks like. And then Jesus passed on the same imagery when he came on the scene. And he says, you know what? you see that? I am the good shepherd. And then Jesus sat down with Peter after the crucifixion and after Peter had denied him three times and he pulls Peter aside and he says, Peter, listen, didn't say this. He didn't say, hey, Peter, I want you to lead my church. He says, hey, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. And then what does Peter do? Peter, when he pens his words, he says, hey, elders or leaders of the church, I want you to be good shepherds of God's flock. So from that point forward, that string of that metaphor of shepherding comes all the way through scripture because God wants us to understand that we are to be shepherded. We are to be part of a flock. We are to be cared for. The second thing in the 23rd Psalm that we see is God is a provider. God is a provider. He says, he says, green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And I remember reading that as a kid and I was like, man, that's brutal. Why would I want to do that? Right? But we're sheep and we need feeding. And the shepherd knows where good food is. The shepherd knows where the pasture land is. Listen to what Ezekiel says, Ezekiel 34. I will tend them in good pasture and their grazing place will be on Israel's lofty mountains. There will lie down in good grazing place. They will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will tend my flock and let them lie down. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Now, I want you... This is the, the countryside of England uh, here up on the screen. Beautiful pasture land. I wish I had taken more pictures because that, those first two or three days, we, we were going over hills and valleys and ravines and coming back over, and there were sheep everywhere. Green pasture land. And you might have in your mind that this is what it looked like. That's not what Israel looks like. This is what Israel looks like. Where's the green pasture land? You might look out at your world and think the world looks like this, but you need to understand that you're being led by a shepherd, Jesus Christ, that knows where the green pasture land is. This is what Israel looks like. And let me just, I want to say something right here because I think it needs to be said. I want to talk about just real quickly the importance of of Israel. And we see, we turn on the news and we're like, what is happening in the Middle East? And, and it can be scary and, and I get it. But what we're seeing is the fulfillment of prophecy in the Bible. God is not through with Israel. I think that before in the early 1900s, we'd read these prophecies and be like, what, what does this mean? How can this happen? And then in 1948, Israel became a nation again, and I think it blew the minds of anybody who is a believer because they're like, oh, wow, this is really happening. Now we see the, the clock starting to tick again on, on the prophetic timeline because now Israel is back because until, up until then, there was no Israel, right? In fact, if you go to Jerusalem and you go to the museum in Jerusalem and the Holocaust Museum there, it goes through all the stages of the Holocaust and how many Jews were slaughtered during the Holocaust. But the very last scene in that museum is you walk out onto this balcony with this amazing view of this unspoiled countryside of Israel and the imagery that they wanted to put into this museum was that through all of the heartache, through all of the persecution, as bad as that was, God was still greater, because through all of that, He made us a nation again. And that's what you see when you walk out. You see, oh, the Jewish community has returned. Israel is back. In fact, if you read Ezekiel 38 and 39, you read prophecy of things that have not happened yet. But they will happen. You read Romans eleven twenty five through 29. It says this, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles that you and I has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. God is not done with Israel. God's plan will be accomplished, and, and I, I, I watch the news and, and I'm, I look at the protests and and I hear people who you think are smart say "death to the Jews" and 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 show signs of a Jewish star being put into a trash can and 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 I'm thinking like I was talking to Jennifer, I'm like, how is this happening? Like, how do people have such palace for an entire nationality if it was anybody else on the globe you would be a racist, you would be a bigot, you would be everything else but when it comes to the Jews somehow it's socially acceptable and I was like, how is this possible? How can this be And then I'm thinking back to the early the late 1930s and the early 1940s and I'm like, well oh, gosh it's happened before it can happen again. And I was reminded of this passage and I want to read it for you for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I want you to understand that there are spiritual forces that are at work in the heavenlies that are evil, that are controlling these powers. And so when we see what's happening in the news and we turn on and it gets scary and you're like, what is going on? How can people think like this? Just imagine behind the scenes in the spiritual. There are dark powers that are operating these people like puppets. And that is happening. That is a real thing that is from scripture. But I want you to know that our God is greater. Our God is greater. Our God wins. Read the back of the book. We win. God has seen this from the beginning. He has ordained it from the beginning. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. He has a plan for the nation of Israel. And it's going to happen according to what God says. So when you get scared, just rest in the fact that God's in control. All right. There's a really long parenthesis. Let's go back to the message, All right? So he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He knows where the food is. He leaves me beside still waters. Why do they have to be still? Because a sheep would rather die of thirst than get around raging waters because they're bad swimmers. And so the shepherd knows that. He knows that the sheep need still waters because still waters are places of rest and peace. And, and sheep are, are, are skittish creatures. And God leads us out. He says he leads us out of these places because he knows where they are. And what's interesting is says that he leads them out, but he does it from the front. He doesn't from the back. And this is what's interesting. Egyptian shepherds would drive their sheep from the rear. They would drive them. Jewish shepherds would lead their sheep from the front. Called it, They were gentle shepherds. And this is the imagery here is that your shepherd leads you from the front. This is why Jesus says in John 10, my sheep know my voice. That's how the shepherd is able to go out in front of the flock and say, hey, sheep, come this way. And they go. Because the sheep know their voice. This is what this means. There is a story in World War I, World War II. I can't remember, somewhere around there, where um There was a British army there in what was at that time the Palestinian just region there. And a shepherd boy had lost all his sheep. And the British army had collected all the sheep that they found and put them in a pen because they didn't know who they belonged to. And it was it was all sorts of different sheep, different looking sheep, different ages of sheep, all these different sheep. And a little shepherd boy came up and he says, I'm here to claim my flock. And the British general said, how are you going to do that? You don't know which ones are yours. And he said, don't worry, they will know my voice. And the shepherd boy stands outside the pen and he goes, hey, sheep. And they go, oh, that's our shepherd. And they all walk out and separate themselves by themselves and they follow their shepherd. That's the imagery there is that you have a shepherd that leads out front with a gentle voice He's calling for you Because number 3 I want you to understand this is God is a redeemer God is redeemer. It says he restores my soul. You know another way to translate that is blew my mind when I read this. Another way to translate that is he causes me to repent. He causes me to repent. He causes me to return. He causes me to come back. It is a shepherd that sees you no matter where you are and loves you and pursues you and will leave the 99 to find the one. And he is seeking after you still today because he causes us to repent. Romans 2, 4 says, Do you despise the richness of his kindness, the restraint and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? God, the shepherd, is in the business of seeking us out, bringing us back, restoring us to the fold. And when he brings us back, you know what he does? He shows us the paths of righteousness. It's our choice to follow them, but he is always there to show you which way to walk, which way to turn, which way to go. Why? Because it's for his name's sake. He's not saying, listen, I want you to walk right because your reputation is on the line. He's saying, I want you to walk right because my reputation is on the line, because my name is on you, because you're my sheep. You're part of my flock. It says in Ezekiel, I will seek the lost, bring back the strays, bandage the injured, strengthen the weak, but I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will shepherd them with justice. That is a reference to the bad shepherds of the time that were fattening themselves on the sheep of Israel. Number four, this is critical. Jesus is shepherd John 10:11 says I am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep Jesus's claim to be the good shepherd was more than a claim to do what the national leaders of his day failed to do. It was also a claim to be one with God the Father, who is the good shepherd of his people from Psalm 23. That's why when Jesus says, listen, I'm the good shepherd, everybody instantly would have remembered, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's him? That's him? And what a beautiful picture of a a shepherd that really cares for you. That Jesus would be such a shepherd, it says in John 10, that he will lay his life down for the sheep. So here's what you need to know. Yahweh, God is shepherd. God wants to be your shepherd if you'll let him. No matter how far you've gone, God is seeking after you and wants to help you return. Spurgeon said, repentance is a daily act. You know what us sheep like to do? We like to wander off. Because we think we know what's best. We think we know our own way. We think we we know where the green grass is. And the shepherd is always pulling us back in and saying, no, stick with the flock. You got to stick with, we got to stick together because I'm going to lead you together. And we know this because God is our shepherd through the person of Jesus Christ.
0: Thank you for listening today. If you've made a decision to follow Christ, would you let us know by going to alineachurch.org slash connect? We would love to put a free gift in your hand. Thank you to everyone who gives to support this ministry. If you would like to give today, you can do so by searching for Alinea on Venmo or going to alineachurch.org slash give. As always, if you live in the Murfreesboro area, we would love to see you in person at 10 a.m. at 707 West Main Street. Until then, God sees you, He loves you, and He wants the best for you.